This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from John Purcell on building a culture of organizational health and deep relationships within your church. John is the owner and principal consultant of Transform. This episode was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2023 General Assembly. Let's listen as John shares how to become a results and relationship-focused church. And welcome, everybody. Thanks for honoring me with your presence today. And uh, I'm here to talk about this because, uh, as you just will be able to tell throughout the next 50 minutes, I'm very passionate uh, about this topic. And... Uh, I love the church, and I love the PCA, um, I love God, and uh, well, you'll, you'll hear a little bit more about that just uh, as I kind of share this introduction. Um, today's culture is a mess, isn't it? We have a world identity crisis in so many levels. Individuals are in crisis about their identity. Men and women are in crisis about their identity. Kids, companies, Christians, and churches, we're all in the midst of an identity crisis. But God has always been clear in his identity. He's always been clear on our identity, on men, men's identity, women's identity, and the church's identity. And the world around us needs this clarity, the world around your church needs this clarity now more than ever as you speak the truth and love to them, as you move toward them and meet them where they are, which is an evolving place, isn't it? There's so much ministry opportunity and work to do. What does God most care about regarding the church and what we do about that? Well, in Revelation 2, Jesus makes it pretty clear he cares about our faithfulness. It's all over his message of those seven churches. And in the church, to the church of Sardis, he even says, you uh, think you're poor, but I see that you're faithful. So we need to be faithful and prevailing as we can be as we rely on God to actually do that through us. But I know you guys. I know some of you specifically, but... But the rest of you I know because I know what you do. I'm a ruling elder like a lot of you. And I know you ruling elders and teaching elders and women in the church 
I know your hearts, and I know your heart is to be faithful to God in the work we have to do. But this seminar is about the things that are blocking that, that sometimes are uh, uh, blind spots for us in the churches. Sometimes we know what they are, but we just don't know what to do about them. And Lord knows we've tried. Lord knows you've tried, faithfully tried. But you're frustrated because you just can't get there. My experience is most of the time the key issue you're facing is a lack of organizational uh, effectiveness, a lack of organizational clarity, um, and uh, organizational dysfunction, actually. So we put all this together and we call it organizational health. My experience is that's the main problem blocking pastors, elders, church leaders from, uh, from overcoming. Uh, but here's the, here's the really equally uh, strange part. This seems to be causing relational dysfunctions as well. And, or, is it the relational functions, dysfunctions, that are causing the organizational dysfunctions? Yes. Exactly. That's the right answer. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's part of the, the, uh, the theme of this conversation here, is that they impact each other, and we can't actually have one without the other. All right. I have two goals today. Um, to help us all with a paradigm shift. That's the first goal. Second goal is you walk out of here with a way forward. Not frustrated, but actually encouraged about that. So as we go through this, I want you to remember two key terms, core identity and results in relationships. Core identity and results in relationships. Those will come up time and time again over the next few minutes. Very simple agenda. What is organizational health? What is relational health? How are these related? And how do you get there to organizational and uh, relational health? Okay. Um, some of you may have been exposed to this before. I've written an article on it and I've spoken on it. Whenever I go visit with the church, we kind of start out here. Five dysfunctions of a church. These are things that I've seen over and over again in the 17 years that I've been working with churches and actually on staff with Perimeter many years before that. So I've seen all of these dysfunctions for um, almost 40 years. Uh, th this is kind of some of the bottom line. Uh, church effectiveness, that we are um, effectively creating spiritual growth pathways and the church is turned outward. But what I'm seeing is we don't have those effective growth pathways and the church is turned inward. Um, that you know, growth pathways include effective shepherding, Intentional discipleship, development of leaders, but, and personal growth. Church turn inward. We know what those things are. I won't go through that. So what I see, what I've found causing those things, as I see those things in churches, is first of all, I saw a lack of organizational clarity and effectiveness. And what's that look like? That your core is unclear. Your core identity of the church is unclear. That's your mission, vision, and values. I was just talking to someone for a few minutes before this, and uh, I mentioned that uh, as I've done churchwide um, surveys, I'll always ask the question, what are the core values of your church? And I'll give them about 20 potential options. And it's rare that 50%, as much as 50% of the members of your church would even get one of your core values right. And then I'll ask, well, what, do you, what, 
what uh, do you think the real values are, regardless of what you say they are, or the church says they are. And uh, rarely 50% will choose one of those things. And then I'll ask, what do you want them to be, and so forth. Well, you get the picture. Uh, we're not clear on our identity. Our people don't know what our identity is, and even the elders, if you ask them, mostly won't get your five core, or if you have five core values, they wouldn't get three of them. That's my experience. So we're unclear on who we are. Our strategic plan is not clear if we have one. Our organizational model is not clear, and uh, we lack organizational integrity. By integrity, I mean the organization is integrated and working together. And then we have leadership teams that aren't cohesive. This is one of the crucial um, traits of a healthy church. You have two healthy, cohesive leadership teams, the staff and the session. And what's that look like when they're not cohesive? You're mis they're misaligned with the core, a lack of role clarity. The staff and ministry are in silos, very, very more common with churches than with businesses, silos. And then you have little healthy debate. A lot of reasons for that that we could talk about forever. And then finally, I see uh, a lack of real biblical community in the church. And what that looks like is a lack of vulnerability, um, that we're engaging the head and not the heart. We're the PCA. We do a great job of engaging the head. We know exactly what we believe. And we engage that well, and that's awesome. Um, that relationships and results is a pendulum. I'll unpack that in a minute. And that we don't know what it really looks like to speak the truth in love in the church. Those of you that are ruling elders and have a, uh, another organizational life outside the church, um, would you agree with this statement? In the business world, we see more speaking the truth in love than we do in the church. I see some heads going up and down. I was in the business world for 18 years. I saw that. Not if you're in politics. Uh, not if you're in politics. So overcoming those means building cohesive leadership teams, creating organizational clarity and effectiveness, and then developing real biblical community, which all frees the church up to create continual growth pathways and turn the church outward. All right, and if you want, I don't know if you can see that, but if you want biblical backing for all that, we can find Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12 all over this issue of cohesive leadership teams. Moses, Jethro, Nehemiah, and Paul all over the issue of organizational clarity and effectiveness. And then the other three, uh, we'll just look at people named Jesus, Paul, and some little suggestions that Jesus made called the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. Those are all over those. Okay, paradigm shift. This is what I'm talking about. I work with a lot of churches that say we are a relational church. We have a relational culture. But organizationally, we're not very effective. And that's where we need help. And two churches I've already worked with this year said, we're hesitant to bring you in, John, because we're afraid that if you clear up our organizational dysfunction... What's the rest of that sentence? We'll become less relational. So what they're telling me is uh, that results in relationships is a pendulum. That you're relational, very relational, or you're very results-oriented. 
And what they're afraid of is if you work on that, that you're going to become like this. You're going to become lukewarm relationally and lukewarm organizationally. But that's not God's economy. I don't believe that that's God's economy at all. Jesus was over-the-top relational. He's the most loving person that ever lived. Jesus was over-the-top missional. No one was ever more results-focused than Jesus. How many times did he walk away from the crowd that he was healing and preaching to to spend time with his father because that's what he needed uh, to, to continue his mission? So this is the pendulum that I want you to burn into your head. With God, there are two pendulums. God is all results and all relationships, or we might look at it this way. Organizational health versus relational health. If we work on your organizational health, your relational health should actually become stronger. If you're relationally not healthy, if you work on your relational health, your organization will actually become stronger. These things are tied together as they are in this picture. And I I believe that with all my heart, and I've seen it with all my heart. So it's organizational health and relational health. Tied together like this. If you're missing one, you can't get all of the other. And I believe that's what God wants for the church, and you can have that. So, organizational health. Can anyone give me just what off the top of your head would be a definition that would resonate with you on organizational health? Clearly defined roles and responsibilities. Okay, clearly defined roles and responsibilities. Excellent. What else? Efficiency, okay, that's a good aspect of it. What else? Zeal to fulfill your purpose as an organization. What do you need to know to do that? What the purpose is? Yeah. Anything else comes to mind? Alignment around values. Great one. Everybody feels their part matters. And, and that it really does, too. Yeah. Excellent. This is good. Sorry? Clear expectations and honest feedback. Boy, this is, a, this is creating a good picture. Any of you getting excited about what it would be like to have an organization that had all these things? Well, this is just something I came up with for the purpose of this conversation. Being unified around your core identity your plan for carrying out your mission, that identity, and everyone's roles in doing that. So you guys came up with all those things in what you shared. Being unified around your core identity, your plan for carrying out your mission, and everyone's roles in doing that. So core identity starts with core identity. Knowing who you are, clarifying who you are. I love to go to Ephesians 4 for a picture of uh, Paul's picture of God-honoring church. Um, I won't read all this, but I just want to highlight uh, some specific things. Um, Being eager to maintain the unity of the spirit, of the bond of peace, there's that alignment, unity. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. And then he says, he gave all these different offices, roles in the church, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry for what? For the building up of the body until we all attain to the unity, there's that word again, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And how do you do all that? He says, by speaking the truth in love. There's that. Speaking the truth in love. It's like truth and love are so we sometimes on that pendulum, right? Truth is over here, love's over here. If I really communicate the truth, they won't feel loved. If I make sure they feel loved, I can't really give them all the truth. But Paul does give us that um, directive, speaking the truth in love. And here's something that I had not seen until just recently. When Paul says the whole body, from whom? From Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What, what does he mean by joined and held together by every joint? What is that? What are those joints? I think that that is right on uh, uh, topic of what we're talking about here today, that we're missing the joints that tie things together in the church. Or we have those joints, and they're not working properly. So Paul talks about joints working properly. When they're working properly, makes the body grow. So our joints aren't working properly. So we've got to figure out what those joints are and uh, make them healthy and so that they work right. Also, 1 Corinthians 12 gives a very similar message, the body and its members, unity, empathy, humility. So examples. I'm going to do you a favor, and I'm going to give you an example that will actually, actually make you feel really good about whatever situation your church is in. So I had the blessing of working with a church in uh, South Africa, a really good church, a large church for South Africa. And they had probably the worst organizational mess I've ever seen. First, they were congregationalist. Second, they had an elder board. Third, they had a deacon board. Fourth, they had... Um, multiple, I think maybe six or seven pastors, so they had a pastor's team. And then you put all those together and you've got a church council. If you wanted to make any important decision or any change at all, it had to go through all five of those. The church council, the elders, the deacons, um, the uh, pastors, and the congregation. For me to come out and work with them as a consultant, the congregation had to vote. So, can you imagine what it's like to run that church? And yet, they were doing a pretty good job, but boy, were they frustrated. The elders had tried to solve it. The deacons wouldn't have it. The deacons tried to solve it. The elders wouldn't have it. The pastor tried to solve it. Neither of the others would have it. So, um, I uh, went out and I interviewed 30, 30 leaders, and then I said, man... What I'm going to recommend is going to be the toughest pill to swallow that I've ever given a church. And there is not much chance, short of God being in this, that they're going to take my advice. So I had two full days with all that leadership. I spent the first full day and a half giving them principles about church, principles about leadership, principles uh, about teams, principles about governance. And then I said, okay, Here's what I heard from you about this church and what's working, what's not working. This is going to be hard to hear, but here's what I recommend. Disband the church council. 
change the role of the elders to a more biblical role of shepherd and overseer. Change the role of the deacons to a more biblical role of servants. Free up the pastors to do their job and quit micromanaging them. They said, this all makes sense based on all these principles that you've been teaching us. So they put together a team, and then COVID hit. And throughout 20, what was the first year of COVID? 2020, I worked with them by Zoom at a distance. Uh, they got the whole church council to approve a recommendation to do all those things. Uh, when the church came back together physically, uh, they discussed it with the church. They voted on it. They approved it. Now, if they can do that, there's a whole lot of hope for whatever your piece of that problem is, whatever your piece of that challenge is, God can overcome that. Was God in that? 100%. Um, I was amazed, but I was thankful. And uh, they're thankful as well that they tackled that challenge. But it kind of took, took them coming together. So you have your versions of that. That aren't, that aren't as difficult, but they're still not easy, that's for sure. Um, another way to think about this is some of your challenges, you'll see if you read Tim, uh, many of you have probably seen, seen and read Tim Keller's 17-page document called Leadership and Church Dynamics. How many, how many of you have read that one? A lot of great advice in there. I mean, it's not the Bible, but it's a lot of good wisdom about how, a church, how what got you here as a church won't get you there. Remember that old saying? What got you to where you are isn't going to get you to where you need to be next. Uh, or act your size, or act the size you are becoming. Because if you keep acting like a small tur- a church plant, you'll never become uh, what he calls a small church. If you act like a small church, you'll never become a medium-sized church and so forth. So there's a lot of good wisdom in there, and just the, just the concept, just that mindset of thinking about, you know, this is one time when the word evolution is not a bad word. We need to evolve the way we do our leadership in our churches. The role of the session needs to evolve, the role of the staff needs to evolve, the role of the deacons needs to evolve, and so forth. So acting your size. Two key elements of organizational health. First, clarifying a strategic plan that aligns, there's that word again, aligns all the leadership. Secondly, build cohesive leadership teams. As I said, there's nothing more important to your leadership health than team leadership. Now, what does that look like? Well, here's some of the subsets of it. Your strategic plan needs to include execution of that plan. I see that mistake made time after time. Here's our plan, and then two years later, you go back and look at that. I I wish I had a nickel for every time... Someone from a church had said, oh, we did this strategic planning before. What makes us think it should work this time? Because I've got this three-ring binder uh, on my shelf. Now it's, I've got it in my computer, but there's, uh, there's electronic dust gathering on it now because we really haven't done anything with it. It hasn't been a working document. So we need to align the organization to execute that plan, to clarify your organization chart, updating and clarifying job descriptions, as somebody said, and drafting policies and procedures where you need them. And as you get larger, you need more of those so you don't reinvent the wheel every time. So the session doesn't uh, discuss and decide the same issue 
over and over again, and so forth. <clears throat> then building cohesive leadership teams, teams aligned around that plan, teams that can have effective meetings with healthy conflict, and we're talking especially about the session and the staff. And then when the staff gets larger than about seven, you need an executive staff. And when the session gets larger than about seven, that creates issues too, and that's a whole other topic, and I've done two seminars at General Assembly on that topic of what to do about that. So I won't get into that today, but you can ask me about that. Um, studies have shown that for every person more than seven on a leadership team, your decision-making effectiveness goes down by 10%. Any mathematicians in here? How many does it take on your team to get under 50% effectiveness? About 13. And you're under 50%. For every person over seven on your leadership team, your decision-making effectiveness goes down by 10%. Now, is that scientific? Well, the study said that that's true. Does that resonate with you, that that makes logical sense? It does with me, because we've all been there in those, in those meetings. <clears throat> okay, relational health. What's a good definition of relational health? You guys did a great job in organizational, so I'm going to let you do that again. How would you define relational health? Willing and able to live with a degree of healthy transparency. I love that. That's awesome. What else? Relational health for, for an organization, for a church. Ability to disagree in love. Wouldn't that be great? Yes, sir, in the back. A sense of trust and unity. Well, these are all excellent. Yes? Okay, looking around, seeing who needs care. Intentionally doing that, not just accidentally. Very good. A culture of? What's that first word before repentance? Fast. Fast? Oh, repenting quickly. Fast repentance, thank you. A culture of fast repentance, beautiful. Beautiful, yes. Okay, I call that integrity, a culture where people are the same all the time, in different rooms and in different contexts. Excellent. Yeah, that's, I think you guys are coming up with a great list. It's probably better than mine. Uh, here's what I said. Where interactions are characterized by a healthy and biblical core identity, this is individual identity now, that we as individuals are clear on who we are biblically. Um, interactions are characterized by emotional intelligence. You know what that means, two parts of emotional intelligence, self-understanding uh, and others' understanding. What's going on inside of me and then managing it well. What's going on inside of 
you or another person and responding to it well. That's emotional intelligence, the two sides. A culture or interactions characterized by openness and vulnerability. You guys got that? Um, interdependence, which takes humility. Interdependence, which takes humility. And then wholeheartedness, where we are operating with a whole heart um, as God's heart is. So that's just one, one stab at relational health. Um, Ephesians 4, again. 1 Corinthians 12, again, applies to this. Now we add 1 Corinthians 13, the most excellent way of love, that love is more important than anything else that seems more important in the moment. Love is more important than anything else that seems important in the moment. I'm actually going to read this because I I just, I was in, I was in 1 Corinthians and just came across this as I was preparing for this discussion and uh, I don't think that's a coincidence. Love is, and think about how this applies inside the church and as we communicate with outsiders. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What if all of our relationships in the church, what if all the relationships between among leaders look like this? What if all the times that I interact with someone in my neighborhood uh, or in my workplace, if I have an outside workplace, look like this? I mean, I've been, I've been, God's had me wrestling with how do we as Christians respond to the world around us right now, and uh, uh, I'm just wondering if this just isn't the simplest answer I could ever see. Um, okay, I'm going to give you another church example here. Yes, sir. Yeah, sure. Love in the mo- that I just said that love in the moment. Yeah, it was like one slide, slide before this one. This one? Before that. Before that. Yeah, you said- oh, love. Okay, that love is more important than anything else that seems important in the moment. That's what First Corinthians thirteen says. The more excellent way, you know, because Paul's talking about all these other things that Christians were concerned about, you know, and all the various gifts of the Spirit and so forth. And then he says, compared to that, love is more important than all of that. That's what I meant. I mean, we think things are, I mean, in the session meeting, you know, we have a, a strong discussion going on, uh, and, uh, and that's important, and we need to resolve, we need to have healthy conflict, remembering that love is more important even than our point of view. But that doesn't mean I don't share my point of view. That's the point here. That's what speaking the truth in love looks like. So this particular church was, uh, was another, in another Presbyterian denomination. So I'll relieve the PCA of responsibility on this one. <clears throat> and they had 17 session members, which is way more than seven, right? So they had that problem. And um, 
they had grown very big. They had actually were bigger than any other church in their denomination. So they said, they didn't, I mean, to their great credit, uh, uh, how do we handle this when we become a church of this size and we get this many elders? Um, they were, I did, I do uh, the behavioral profiling and I, I profiled all the elders and pastors that were in the session. And the overwhelming majority of them had the profiles of a pastor, of a shepherd. You know, they had uh, natural empathetic hearts. They had a natural empathy. I have to learn empathy. I, I, have, I have intentional empathy on this profile. Um, but they had natural empathy. But in their session meetings, they were having such dysfunctional, awful um, conflict. And uh, they dreaded their session meetings. The pastor or anybody else dreaded the session meetings. Um, they were yelling at the pastor in his office. They were yelling at each other in the session meetings. And they didn't like it. They hated it. Well, naturally they did. because I, I expected when I, after hearing about all this and interviewing some of them, <clears throat> then I got their profiles, I expected to see a whole bunch of type A leaders. They weren't. There were only a couple of them in there. So they were so much out of their element, and they hated where they were, and they didn't know what to do about it. <clears throat> so they had all this dysfunctional, re relational dysfunction they, that they weren't able to um, make the governance work, and they weren't able to make the church work very well. I think the congregation thought it was working pretty well. And uh, they're, they're a, a, they were a, a, lar a medium, large size. They were a large church. Um, but boy, behind the scenes, they were dying. And, uh, and so, you, I mean, some of you have your versions of that too. But it might not be so overt. It's usually more underground. And it's usually passive aggressive. And when I say the meeting in the congregation, after, in the parking lot after the meeting, how many of you know what I'm talking about? All of us, right? We've all been in those meetings and what's wrong with the meeting in the parking lot after the meeting? Everything said there should have been said in the meeting. That's what's wrong with it. And so that's your vulnerable, open culture that, that would characterize relationally healthy church. Uh, with a, with that where we, have, we trust each other enough to be able to do that. So that's all too common. Um, all right. Loving each other well. Having love in our hearts is different than others experiencing that love from us. And that starts with our own intimate relationship with God, doesn't it? And, our own, and, and knowing what our true identity from God is. That God has named us and, uh, and God has uh, affirmed who we are. It goes to deep places in our hearts those of you that uh, have any counseling training know what the false self is uh, or the pose, which is who I really think I am subconsciously that gets in the way of who I really am. It, it gets in the way of clarity on my real core identity. So we all have that. I've had the blessing of being able to, to dig into that. It's a painful blessing. Uh, and to learn what my false self was, learn what my pose was, and be able to work on releasing it to God. It's painful, but it's, uh, it's an important part of leadership. It's being broken as a leader. 
Um, so creating that culture of openness and vulnerability, you know, takes those things. It takes knowing who we are. It takes dealing with those deep places in our heart that gets in the way of others actually experiencing the love that I, that I do uh, want to have for them. Imagine the impact of the culture of organizational health and the culture of relational health if you had both, or better yet, actually it must be done, it must be one culture, because you really can't have, uh, be fully relationally healthy unless you have an organizational health and vice versa. So that's one of, one of my messages, is these things need to both be happening. And with a couple of churches that I've worked with this year that were afraid to bring me in because they didn't want that pendulum of relationship to come to the middle, um, they're seeing that when you start to do the right organizational things, you will strengthen those relationships. You'll become, you have relational dysfunctions that you aren't even aware of. And you clear up those organizational things and start to address them and start to walk into the, yeah, sometimes the pain of addressing them, uh, then relationships will actually get better. Okay, so I told you I want to leave you with hope. What are some tools to get you there? So these tools aren't like apps on your phone. These tools are experiential tools. These tools are things that, um, that happen through uh, relational, deep relational work. So first of all, assessment. You know, have, have an objective evaluation of your organization and your relationships done. And that's best done through conversations. I mean, you can do surveys, but I don't think anything tops just good old-fashioned, heart-to-heart, uh, you know, 45-minute, one-hour, one-on-one conversation about how do you evaluate what's going on at this church. Okay, then strategic planning workshop. So this is my roadmap. Uh, if it, by the way, anyone that wants a copy of my slides, I'll send them to you. Uh, I just need to get, I've got some cards up here, and you can just send me an email, let me know, or just talk to me. Uh, but I have an article on this one, too, that I could send you about how this works. But this is what I've come to after years of leading strategic planning at Westinghouse and then at Perimeter Church, and now 17 years with a variety of churches and businesses. Um, I don't care if you, what model you use for strategic planning, there are three things you need to do, three big rocks in your strategic planning. One, preserve your core. Figure out what your core is. Your core is your mission, or mission is a word that can mean lots of things, your purpose. It answers the question, why do we exist? It's your values, which answer the question, how will we behave? And it's your vision, which answers the question, where are we going? So every, you, once you nail that down, you don't redo it every year when you do planning. You just, you just recognize that's what we're preserving. Everything is for that sake, because that's our core identity. So um, Jim Collins, who most of you read the book Good to Great. It was like the number one business book for years. Before he wrote that, he wrote Built to Last. And in it, his researchers found that the excellent organizations that were number one in their industries over decades did two things well that the number two only did one of them well. And the two things are preserve your core and stimulate progress. This is your core. Preserve this, and then you come up with a strategy that changes things other than the core for the sake of the core. So uh, I won't go through 
you know, the way you, you come up with your strategy. Um, but then, so that's number one is your core. Number two is refine your strategy. I believe you should, every year, you should relook at that. It's not a once every five year. Every year, pull it out. Where are we? What do we need to do now? And I like looking ahead five years or at least three years. And then you update that every year. And then here's what almost nobody does. Align the organization to execute with that plan. Starting with your organization, what needs to change in our organization to make this happen? Starting with the elders, deacons, staff. Something probably needs to be modified because you're not perfectly organized to make that happen automatically. Then operationally, what do we need to do differently with the meetings we have, how we do those meetings? Uh, do we need policies and procedures we don't have? And then finally, your communications plan. How do we tell people about this and keep that hot? Keep that hot before the people so they're excited about it and know their place in it, as somebody says. I know what my role is. So that's a uh, strategic planning. And then how do you build that healthy team? Have some kind of a team workshop. Um, Patrick Lencioni wrote a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I've added three to it. So organizational clarity, I've added to it as a foundation for a healthy team. How, how often does your, is your team not effective because you're not really clear on, the, uh, on, your, on your core? Or you're not really clear on the role of the team? Or here's, here's, the, here's the one in, the, in Presbyterian churches. You're not really crystal clear on the line of demarcation between the session's responsibility and the pastor's responsibility. Where's that line? Which should be shifting as you grow. More delegation. Organizational clarity, the right teammates, um, the right people, the right, you know, the right elders in the session, the right staff people in the right seats on the staff, which over time changes. Because as Tim Keller says in, in that article, the larger you get, the more specialists you need on staff and the fewer generalists you need on staff. So that, that's something that uh, morphs over time. Real relationship, that you, we build real relationship within our team. That you don't just, relationship is just, isn't when you have small groups. When you meet together as a staff, when you meet together as a session, how are you shepherding each other? How are you truly going deep with each other? Because that builds trust. This is where Lencioni starts in his book. But these things build trust, these three things down here. And then he says you have to have trust or else you won't have conflict. Did you hear that right? He wants you to have conflict. He says if you have a team and you don't have conflict in every meeting, you wasted everybody's time. But healthy conflict, right? Healthy debate. Truth and love conflict. So uh, then you get the healthy conflict. Then you can have commitment to the decisions. You won't have the meeting in the parking lot after the meeting. So that's what commitment looks like. It looks like I voted against it, but my brothers and sisters voted for it, so I'm a now 100% for it. That's what a healthy team looks like. And then, uh, then you can have accountability to follow through and make it happen and get results. And uh, if you want Bible verses, they're all backed up biblically.
And then uh, I, I like to say, okay, we're talking to the church staff, let's say. Evaluate your team on all eight of these on a scale of one to five. And we have a lot of fun with that. Evaluate your session on a scale of one to five for all these. And then you know where you have work to do. So team workshop. Okay, I said, talked about uh, relational health, including being wholehearted. Um, how do you get wholehearted equipping experiences? Um, oh, by the way, I need to go back. Um, when I work with a church doing strategic planning and a team workshop, um, I make it over the top relational because I want to model to you what you should do in all your meetings. So we're putting together a strategic plan. We are having healthy debate in love. Everybody's sharing their opinions. Uh, people are responding to those opinions in love. People are feeling uh, honored and respected and heard. And if you feel honored, respected, and heard, you will be able to support whatever the team decides, even if you didn't vote for it, right? But we need that. We need to make sure people, every teammate is feeling honored, respected, and heard. That's one reason why you don't, have it. it's a, um, you don't try to have 17 people making decision. Okay, then the wholehearted equipping experiences. Um, booth 414 uh, here is a Wellspring group, and they do these three things, and I cannot recommend it more because those things impacted my life more than anything other than Jesus and being able to understand my heart and unpack my pose that I mentioned, false self and all that stuff. Uh, from Ken Sandy, relational wisdom, and then you know, get a good leadership coach that can uh, work for you uh, heart deep. All right, so here's what we did. We talked about paradigm shift, a way forward. We talked a lot about core identity organizationally and individually and results in relationship as, uh, uh, as going together and impacting each other positively. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.